And our program continues this morning being as this is Wednesday and after 11 o'clock news is left, right, and center with Robert Metz on the right and Andrew Bolter uh, in sitting in for Jeff Schlemmer on the left. Welcome again, Andrew. Andrew's been a guest before on the program and uh, it's always a pleasure to have him here with us. We should, uh, I should say that, that what we're going to discuss this morning, we actually have talked about, uh, well, I guess in a number of guises, Bob, a number of times before, you and Jeff have discussed various aspects of this, but I thought that uh, given that uh, the budget was yesterday and given that Andrew's here uh, instead of Jeff, that there, there is probably more ground to be tilled on this, on this issue. And here's the question I have suggested to, to my guests this morning. Now that the deficit has been eliminated, and uh, there's a lot of discussion as to how and why and all of that, but that's not germane today. But now that it's been eliminated, according to Mr. Martin, should the government spend money directly to improve the lives of low-income Canadians? And I guess, by extension, how should they do that? Or is it their responsibility to concentrate on reducing the debt and or reducing taxes? Pretty clear-cut, I think, question, but obviously a lot of ramifications, and uh, and I'm sure some good points to be made on both sides. Andrew, since you are our guest this morning, I'm, I'm going to ask you that question. What, what is the responsibility of the government at this point? Do they have a responsibility to directly move to improve the lives of low-income Canadians, or is there a greater responsibility to the taxpayers, the great mass of taxpayers who have funded uh, their ability to eliminate the deficit and now are looking for a little relief? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to, you know, bust the bubble about low-income people. They do pay tax. They pay PST and GST. Mm -hmm. They're at an income level that would be, it would be criminal if they had to pay income tax on, on social assistance. I think uh, we're looking at a country that is declining in terms of world standards, human rights standards in housing, in uh, child poverty, in security f access to food, um, things are getting worse. How are they getting worse with food? I, I, that's the new one on me. Well, look at look at the access to food banks. Look at the number of food banks in this country. There are more food banks than McDonald's outlets in this country. But doesn't that suggest that there's there is adequate food then if we've got all these banks out there? No, I think uh, it's it's a stop got measure to stop people starving to death but basically i think everyone has a right to food security and that means you have a right to uh, have access to food and choices about food and to feed your family there's nothing more heartbreaking than to see uh, parents having to go to a food bank and getting uh, the food there to feed their family when every parent really needs and wants to be able to support their children it's soul destroying we've got to remember that this budget uh, we are in the black ink right now because there are savage cuts to social programs in this country. Well, that's not the only reason. There yeah. were savage increases to income tax, too. There were increases to income tax and... $30 uh, billion dollars more, more income tax increases than cuts to social programs. Yes, that's true. But basically, the cuts to social programs impacted extremely highly on the lives of low-income people, much more than, than paying an extra, you know, 15% on income tax. Um, when you can't afford shelter and food, a cut to a social program has a devastating effect. Robert? Um, I have to start with a basic premise. Uh, you know, Andrew says that everyone should have a right to food security. Well, something cannot be a right if it imposes an obligation on someone else, a positive obligation. We don't have rights to the earnings of other people. And, and we have to look at our situation as it might be, say, in a more primitive situation where the other people don't exist to, uh, 
to provide their, the surplus of their earnings for the poor people. What we have to do is try to help the poor in an indirect way. And to your question, what should the government do, reduce uh, taxes or help the poor? I say both, because reducing taxes does help the poor. Uh, Andrew's correct when he says that they do pay tax, but they also pay more taxes than just PST and GST. They pay the hidden taxes that are in the price of everything, the tax that other people charge them for any labor they do for them. I mean, it goes right down the line. If, if the government wanted to do something specifically for the lower income people, they could raise, say, the, the minimum basic exemption at uh, the point at which people should even start paying taxes. So, to me, I don't see the question as one being exclusive of the other. Uh, to me, it's one and the same. You do both by lowering taxes. Andrew, what's wrong with that? Because uh, uh, it seems to me there is a thread of truth that runs through all of that and runs indeed through the tax system that we all, rich, rich, poor, or in the middle, we are all smacked by taxes. Whether or not we pay income taxes and whether or not income tax rates may be high or even non-existent, we're still getting hammered with other taxes. Do you disagree that, uh, that an overall tax cut might stimulate the economy and, and reduce the impact of those taxes? Well, it could. It might reduce the impact, but the bottom line is on... I mean, we're not talking about, you know, people who are, are, are finding work here. We're talking about people living on social assistance. How many are there by in the city of London? How many... When we talk about yeah. the poor and we talk about... How many people are we really talking about in our... We've got 300 and, what, 30,000 people in London. How many of them are the, the, the real... the desperate ones? The ones you're talking about, the ones that are been hammered by these cuts and so on? I would say we're talking about uh, the really desperate cases, 20,000 individuals. 20,000 people? Yeah, 20,000. That's probably the caseload of uh, at social, you know, on, at the welfare office. So we have somewhat less than 10%, about 6 or 7% of the population. Yeah, but then we also, you know, if you want to include people living on fi any fixed income, you know, there are a number of uh, sort of uh, pensioners living in poverty because mm -hmm. of, of the, the pensions are not really adequate either. Uh, people on disability um, living on fixed incomes. There's a lot of hidden poverty too. Well, let me people. ask you about the pensions though. This is something that hits home for a lot of people and, and I had experience in my family with a family member who retired and discovered upon retirement that her pension was not what she thought it was and subsequently was not as comfortable in her declining years as she might have been. Now, from a personal point of view, because I love this individual, I was very distressed that that happened to her. But at the same time, I had to recognize that she had every opportunity throughout her career to take a more active role in, you know, what is my pension going to be, to make sure she understood that, to make sure that she was doing all the responsible things that, in fact, she should have done. She didn't do them. And, and so at the end of the game, if you will, she was behind by several points and, and her pension really did not allow her to live the life that she wanted to live. So, I mean, an individual like that, what responsibility do we have to her? And again, it's a very personal question to me because I care very deeply about this individual. But what responsibility, if any, does society have to her? She had the same opportunity that you have or I have or Bob has or anybody else to make, and it was a company pension, to make sure that that she was going to end up where she wanted to end up and yet ultimately she became one of these people you're talking about on a fixed income and an inadequate income but is that society's responsibility well i think uh, j during that you know the last twenty years perhaps um, you know most people believed that if they paid into their company pension and with the state pension they'd be able to afford to live no one realized what inflation would do to 
to that. Nobody sort of understood that. Right now, we're in a regime where the government is saying, "Well, we're, we're you know, we're going to have a, a Canada pension plan, but we're encouraging you to, you to develop RSPs, and and you have more responsibility to do that." But we've got to remember that people with no discretionary income cannot put money into RSPs. I'm not talking about RSPs. I want to back up here. I want to go back to the people you're talking about now, who are on fixed incomes now, and and as I'm sure you know, many of them are in the same situation as the lady I described that for whatever reasons, they just didn't pay attention. Now, do we have a responsibility to them now beyond, you know, the basic responsibilities? But should, should we... Well, Bob, I'm going to ask you that question. That individual I described, does society have a responsibility to her? She kind of just didn't well, pay attention and uh, then got nailed at the end. But that could happen to anyone. And, and, and the issue is, if we have a right, we cannot impose an obligation on another person in order to achieve our right. A right only uh, applies to... Uh, one's freedom of action, but you, you, you look at the individual situation of poverty, you know, you, there's two sides of it. Do you define the poverty because a person has too little income, or do you define the poverty because a person's expenses are too high? And, you know, I would ask perhaps Andrew the question, if, a, if there was an individual who was self-sustaining, say, on a farm, who had zero income and zero expensive expenses, would you describe that person as poor? Well, economically they're poor, but but basically they're they're basic. I I disagree with you about rights, by the way. I think they're natural rights. But to be a human being, you have certain rights, and the UN Charter reflects that. The Canadian government has reflected that in the conventions we've signed internationally, based on the concept of natural rights. But the person on the farm has food, has shelter, has a life. Has no, well, he doesn't have it. He has to produce it. He yeah, but they have a, they they have a life which they're 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 presumably doing something that that is enabling them to live and they okay. have the dignity of that but the issue is would you would that person be classified as a person in poverty classified amongst the other people you're calling poverty stricken right now no i i, I think we're talking about a completely different type of well, individual well here. that's my point i think the issue is that if we're going to define a person in poverty we have to use a different set of criteria yeah. and, and my criteria are can they afford to feed themselves can they afford shelter basic not not a palace not gourmet meals can they eat adequately can they house themselves adequately can they raise their children um, I mean that you don't have to be a rocket scientist to measure that and I know for a fact in London through our agency there are in, there are families and individuals so, who cannot meet their basic needs wouldn't and it, wouldn't that it, is fundamental wouldn't it equally help people in that situation to lower their expenses rather than always increasing their income what expense are you going to lower when you're everything on five, from housing to dollars a month to to the cost of shelter and everything which i find ironic that the same people that want to help the poor are always the same people who want to see union wages go up and who want to see uh, the cost of living basically rising so that everybody has a quote more fair wage which comes at the expense of these very people so uh, you know i don't know if you're in that camp or if you if i'm you not are... in a camp all i know is there are people who don't have adequate shelter they can't afford to eat they can't afford to feed their children the children have to go to breakfast programs at school that's grotesque we shouldn't have a society where parents can't afford to feed their well, children. There are no jobs out there. These people don't choose to be on welfare. They don't choose to be on social assistance. I beg to they differ. Want to I would work. say there are an infinite number of jobs out there. If governments didn't have things like minimum wage laws, high labor well, uh, um, restrictions, um, not monopolies about... on labor, monopolies on business. I mean, that's where the lack of jobs are coming from in the country. We have to loosen up the marketplace. 
I assume you're talking about otherwise uh, healthy, capable people, not people who are crippled or, or otherwise physically disabled. Well, in the 20,000 desperate people that you mentioned in the city. Well, there are a lot of able-bodied people who are unemployed, and it's not their fault. Put it that way. I mean, they're there because there are no jobs. I well, mean, whether it's your their fault theory, or not, it is their responsibility. Well, you know, it might not be someone's agree. fault that they have a, a serious disease or a handicap or that they're blind, but it's their responsibility to look after their life and to carry on with whatever faults and problems that they have in their life. You and they do. They're trying to survive. Sure. They're not giving up and, and lying in a field and dying. They're struggling. They're going to food banks. They're, they're being very creative. These are very intelligent, bright people. Not, we're not talking about people who are una uneducated well, and they, not wise. In fairness, though, they're not any more intelligent or bright than the cross-section of any other part exactly. of society. There are yeah. some stupid ones, too. Exactly. Okay. Well, there are stupid ones in high office Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. <laughs> as we see every day, no question. This is Left, Right, and Center on 1290 CJBK. Andrew Bolter and Robert Metz are my guests this morning. Jess Schlemmer taking the day off, and Andrew's sitting in, or sitting in, uh, 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 I was going to say amiably, that's the wrong word. <laughs> Never mind. You know what I'm trying to say. We'll be right back. left right and center and of course you're always welcome to join us if you uh if you want to comment if you have a question if you want to take issue with something that's said by by any of the three of us you're always welcome at 643-1290 or star 1290 on the cantel cellular bob i want to i want to shift the focus to you for a moment here and, and i, I want to change the context if i may sure um and it may be unfair of me to do this, I don't know. When we read stories of Victorian England, for example, particularly if we read Dickens, who, who was, oh, yeah. you know, in some ways the Danielle Steele of his day, in some ways, in terms of kind of... Great expectations. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, then the pictures he painted of the, of, of the poor and the underprivileged, and we know from studying history that to, the, to a great extent that those pictures were accurate. It was a terrible, terrible time to be poor. Uh, and Isn't they were, it always? It is, but poor, they were poor in the midst of plenty. Now, I know we can get into discussions of how, how the plenty came to be and so on, but do we not have any kind of obligation 100 years later, uh, in the midst of even greater plenty, to, do, to reach out somehow to stop what, like the, tw the late 20th century version of D Dickensian conditions? I mean, how can we go on? Uh, and talk about in abstract terms, well, if we change this law, if we change, this would trickle down and this would go and that would go there and ultimately maybe the poor wouldn't be quite so poor anymore. Is there no role for more direct intervention in their lives? Well, if they are asking for it, I suppose we could voluntarily offer them whatever direct intervention people may choose to offer. But to make as an obligation, an obligation particularly exercised through the state, towards people whose claim on that obligation can virtually be endless because, you know, again, it comes down to a definition of who, whom you regard as poor or in a state of poverty. Um, that's a totally different situation. Um, I've said many times on this show that I see government as the last agency of resort to help the poor, not the first. I see the number one obstacle to everyone's ability to help the poor, including their own ability to help themselves, is all our universal programs. Um, that are costing this nation a great amount of money. More than half of half of what we make goes to all this government spending. But you know the problem with eliminating... Is 100 percent? You know, we're going to go to 100 percent? But the problem of eliminating it? universality, you know very well what it is, is the cutoff line. That's the biggest problem of all in universality. People who are who are making lots of money, who are who are comfortable and not worried about it, my I would suggest to you that most of them would 
not even miss the universality of many of the programs. Where it gets to be problematic is what about when you're down at the line? What about the guy who's just over the line who doesn't get the programs? How do you deal with that? That's why we went to universality in the first place, because nobody could solve that problem. Well, there's a lot of ways to deal with it. If you're asking for a, a, a physical way of dealing with it, you can prorate things. You can help people in percentages. You don't always have to help them with 100%. Maybe they're 80% capable of helping themselves, and you only have to help them with the 20. That's what I don't understand about our, our approaches to to poverty so often. You know, you, you only qualify for a lot of these poverty programs if you're totally unemployed and remain that way. If you don't get an education, I know some of these things are changing now, mm -hmm. thank goodness, but mm -hmm. that's because of these discussions and because of the pressure being put on. But uh, it's a totally backward way of, I think, helping people and, and yet it's the only way it could work if you're going to use government to do it. The government isn't uh, this big caring institution that looks after people. It's, it's a thing that's a, it's a bureaucracy. You fill out forms, you fill in the blank, and, and everything happens. That's all that it is. It's a process. We're going to go to the telephone. 643-1290 is our telephone number. Star 1290 is the Cantel number, and that's a toll-free call. And Chris is waiting to join us. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Yes, sir. Uh, in your discussions that uh, uh, you got to make uh, consideration for all things being equal, uh, the role uh, that our society uh, um, plays for uh, everybody's uh, uh, sense of fairness in the game, on the, on the top end of the scale, we allow market capitalization and, and uh, shares and whatnot, and obviously we don't have any restriction on how these people make their money or in the quantities that they make it. It's wide open, it's uh, freewheeling, it's, uh, you know, time, place, and circumstance that dictates. That's very true, but we also tax the daylights out of them, too. Well, I don't know about tax the daylights. Uh, Mr. Bronfman managed to skip into the United States with a nice, tidy little piece of money, but... Wouldn't argue that with you, but there aren't very many Mr. Bronfmans out there. Well, nonetheless, uh, um, on scale, you know, on balance, what we have to do with our orientation mm -hmm. is we have to back up the, the, the downside of the deal and say this is where the line gets drawn in terms of these are people who cannot um, um, be put into the circumstances of the freewheeling, um, let it hang, you know, uh, let it chips fall where they may kind of uh, situation. And, and But that's what uh, um, we're trying to propose is, is that somehow these people are equal to, uh, my, you know, Mr. Barrett in terms of the choices and, and uh, abilities to deal with circumstances. If you're going to play somebody's short-term uh, money problems uh, to your gain, um, that's not a, a level field. And, but, you're, and but, but you're suggesting, are you not, Chris, and, and I'm, again, I'm in the center trying to keep this thing on the line, are you not suggesting then that these people are incapable of competing? Because that's not what Andrew was saying. Andrew was saying that many of them are just temporarily disadvantaged. It's not that they're incapable of being in the game. But I'm talking about how they got there with employers who didn't meet wages, didn't uh, didn't uh, um, meet their obligations to these people, and they uh, the working poor. As somebody in the United States said uh, about the working or about uh, the streetless or the homeless, is that everybody in the United States are a vast majority of them realize they're only two weeks away themselves from being there. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, that's 
what we have to to say is is that uh, the agencies that we have that uh, back up the working poor or people that are working day to day and making wages that uh, barely cover the cost of, of keeping yourself high and dry. In fact, that's a that is a vastly overstated myth that they're two two weeks away from the street. Many people in our society here in both Canada and the United States may be two weeks away, or usually they say a paycheck away from some financial uh, crisis. Right. Which means at that point you might have to hawk your television or maybe sell your car and think about selling your house but you're not on the street you're you're still months if not years well, away from being on the street but 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 certainly not in a position to uh to deal with the long-term reality of your life in terms of putting money away uh, yeah, true, so that, yes. uh yeah. and, and maintaining your mortgage payments so that you do so have what's an the answer that, uh, what's the answer that, then chris is it higher wages for everyone or well i think i think if we're going to uh, allow uh, individuals, uh, whether they're sports figures or, or bank presidents, to uh, to have uh, you know uh, uh, an open field in terms of how much income or what their net gain from their efforts are going to be. On the, our responsibility as a society is to draw a very clear, firm, and, and committed line on the backside, saying that it, you're not going to get there by pulling up short. You know, on this side of the deal. I don't understand what you mean. On what side of the deal? It doesn't make any sense. Who's who's pulling up short on what side of what deal? I'm talking I'm talking about uh, uh, labor laws, minimum wage standards, uh, um, just employment responsibilities. We're, we're, we're we keep trying to erode uh, that end of. Well, what, uh, I don't understand what you mean by respon What responsibility? Well, well, Chris, what you're saying though is you're not really interested in helping the poor. Is that correct? You just want to see wages go up. No, and no, you want no, to see no. Well, I'm saying this is exactly I'm what I was those people earlier. shouldn't be victimized by by uh, stock market uh, uh, considerations inside of companies where you know while, while we're going to buffer up for this quarter because of some other you know well do you think stock market considerations are just make believe whimsical non non-existent things is that what you're saying no well then why shouldn't they consider them why shouldn't they consider what the stock market i mean if i'm on, if i've got a company and i'm on the stock market i got to pay real close attention to what's going on there you're saying companies shouldn't shouldn't be thinking like that no no i'm saying i'm saying i'm saying we we have a fundamental structure in place right and and these corporations are able well, what to structure function is that? And, and and move things around and make their decisions and and whatnot yes they have freedom that's the word the word, you're, word you're looking for is freedom they can do with their money what they want to do with their money just like you have that same freedom right and all i'm saying is that that's that's fine as long as they uh um don't uh get their results by not meeting the minimum standards of, of uh, behavior yeah. uh, with the people that uh, create the wealth and, and uh, are there to be exploited uh, for... Uh, um, well, give me an example of what you mean by a minimum standard of behavior well, and where you see it not okay, being I keep followed. hearing people that yeah. they, want, they want to kick the, the legs out from underneath the minimum wage. That they, they yeah, want I'm, to I'm, one I, well, or, I'm one of I'm them. I'm one of them. I'm not exactly sure what they're proposing, but they're always trying to erode uh, a minimum wage standard. And if you follow minimum wage from when it was created to the present day using any, uh, uh, whatever you choose by way of marking uh, increase of costs and, and uh, everything else, the minimum wage, if it had been uh, at attached to uh, some uh, significant uh, measuring stick of the economy, would it be over $9? 
but but it, it hasn't happened that way because it doesn't it does it's not tied to a standard of anything. No, it hasn't happened because if they put it to nine dollars, it'd be that that a whole pile of fewer employers employers and a lot more unemployed employees. But the, it it wouldn't be true if uh, if the government uh, tied it to those things. And uh, you can't make it go away, Chris. It, you can't just whimsically pass legislation and say that these economic conditions and realities aren't there. No, I think what we're talking about here is is, is fundamental. It's corporate responsibility now um, which is what i haven't heard, heard well, a definition yet. i would, I would describe corporate responsibility as a corporation uh if it's going to uh, do business in a country or a society is responsible for putting something back more than making a profit i mean any company can go into a, a country make profit give suck me it an up. example of what they have to put back well they have to put back provide stable decent jobs they have permanently as, yeah, long-term jobs. Well, what if the c product they're selling isn't being bought by the marketplace anymore? How are they going to provide those jobs? You've just put an obligation well, on them that is impossible to follow no, through on. No, it's not impossible. If they're, I'm making widgets and nobody buys them anymore, how do I pay my employees? You tell me that. Well, then that company is bound to go under. We're not talking about... Yeah, but I have an obligation. Do I go to jail then? No, I'm Why talking not? about an obligation as a corporate citizen to put something back into the country in which you're doing business. Companies which and corporations... Which you just said okay, was just providing... Second, companies second. and corporations about, about are made whether, of whether people. Countries and corporations are made up of individuals who presumably live in a country. Uh, it's in their interest. If we want to talk about self-interest, it's in their interest to have a stable economy where there's employment, people to buy the product, and everything is booming. Just, just out of a, a self-interest point of view, doesn't it make sense for a corporation to be concerned about the levels of unemployment okay. and poverty within the country? You're, you know, you're speaking for, for unemployment and poverty because what you're asking well, for is more of it. For that's example, bizarre that you would say there's that. another reason a company may not be able to meet its obligations, and that's because another company has entered the field and is competing better. Say that I was building uh, old PC computers, and then along comes a young upstart, name of Bill Gates, you know, builds a whole new empire yeah, around guess me. guess where he's going to employ people? In Mexico, well, where there are no standards. But th that's not the issue. Yes, it the, is. The issue is my that's obligation that you so just imposed on me to my employees here in Canada. What if you're no. a Mexican, though? You like Bill Gates. No, you don't. You're, yeah. <laughs> where, 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 you know, what's believe happening me, in Mexico? Believe me, Andrew, you like Bill Gates if you're a Mexican. Uh, I don't know about that. Well, I've talked to, I've talked to people who live in the Macchiadoros down there, and they'll tell you they love the Bill Gateses of the world yeah, because their, li their living standards now are higher than they were. They're not as high as they'd like them to be, and they're not as high as ours, but they're a lot better than they used to be. Well, I'd like you to visit, visit down there. I've, I've spoken to individuals who visited those areas and talking to, spoken to labor groups and uh, people who are concerned about basic human health and needs. Yeah, but talk to the people who actually live there and ask them how much better no they're being. No water, untreated sewage. Yeah. What, do you, what, do you think no what do you think they had before? Well, why don't we just wipe out all our environmental standards, all our human rights standards, well, all our employment standards, and become a Mexico then? Because you've already explained why that won't work. It won't work because we believe that human beings have a right to live in dignity. No, no, that's not why it won't work. It won't work because of what you said before, because corporations recognize they have to have a market for their goods. Well, I, it seems to me that most corporations aren't... Well, we're talking about globalization, and, and the corporations right now are in this, this gigantic, insane kind of bizarre rush towards this gl this mythic globalization and they're saying to c countries and we have the multilateral agreement coming down too they're saying to countries corporations very soon if this agreement goes through 
are going to be outside the jurisdiction of a nation state yeah, and will be able to sue a nation state for any standards that impacts on their profits. If it goes well, through. Well, there are a lot of individuals who are trying to make it go through. Yeah, and there's a lot of, individual, lot of individuals who are opposing it because as well. Because populations and the common people are beginning to learn about it. Chris, That's I have to leave it away, but I appreciate your call and your comments today, sir. And we have Gary who's been waiting. Hi, Gary. Uh, good morning, Jim. Yes, sir. Uh, there was a statement made by, I think it was Andrew, Mm -hmm. uh, that really upsets me. Well, don't be upset. This is, we're not about upsetting you. Just tell us what you didn't like. Well, no, it's nice to get my brain working. I, I don't mean <laughs> upset I'm going to strangle him. It, okay. <laughs> he gets my mind working. Okay. Uh, and I, I believe it was him. I don't think it would be Mets. He wouldn't say it. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, what was the comment? It, it was a comment about we all have rights according to the UN, not that they're a biased group, we all have certain rights that we are guaranteed or some such line. Yeah, natural uh, rights, I think uh, Andrew called them. Natural right. rights? Yes. Yeah. I, and I, I would be interested in what his perception of natural rights were. Good question. Yeah, well, natural rights, I mean, there's, there's a basic, two, there's a double philosophy going on. That some people believe rights are positive rights and they're created by by society and laws, and a law will create rights. Other people believe that they're inherent rights, and it, it's traditionally linked to a concept of God, I guess, or some kind of a, uh, you know, a superior being or, or cosmological theory where uh, just being a human being means that you have certain rights. You have a right to live, you have a right to, to food, you have a right to shelter, you have a right to a certain degree of personal safety, and, uh, you know, I think most religions and most individuals in society would agree with that. You know, I don't see why it's so radical. Well, the, the, the first one that struck me is the, the right to food. So you're, you know... Do you see that as a positive right or as a negative right? I guess that's no, the question. No, not positive or negative. It's, it's a natural right. Everybody who lives so, on this planet should be able to have a decent meal or access to a decent meal. How does meal. that relate to, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to be provocative here, but I want to understand from a philosophical standpoint, how would that relate to a reality where there wasn't enough food? How, how, where do, your, how do your rights apply then? Well, first of all, there is enough no, food. No, but that, no, that's but, not uh, what if, we're if talking there philosophically. Okay, if there wasn't enough food, then society will have to make a choice, I guess. There would be either be anarchy and the you know the the strongest the people with the guns would would have the but, food. But what about the does the right still appertain then? Do you still have the it's right? It's still a right. You can't take away a natural right. It's there forever. It, it it's 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 there, and everyone has a right. But you you can't always meet people's rights. That's the problem. Or we can we've created societies where people's rights are not respected. We could feed everybody in the world. There's no issue there. We all know that. We could house everybody. We could have a much better society where more, more people have a piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of money in Canada. There's money see, swishing all over the globe, but it's not going to where it's needed. This piece of the pie idea, I don't believe in cutting the pie up. I believe in baking a bigger pie, which, which to me means putting the poor to work to create their own wealth, not to distribute the wealth of someone else. But you haven't answered the question yet. Do you dismiss then both concepts, the negative and positive rights? Is that what you're saying? Well, I don't think that way. I, th I don't think that way, and I don't want to start thinking because, that way. See, because, well, <laughs> that's an interesting thing to say, because I imagine I was in that seat one time. I didn't want to think that way until I had the reality of the world mm -hmm. impressed upon me. And there are negative and positive rights. Uh, I don't uh, agree. Uh, 
Well, it's a matter of definition. A right pertains to a person's freedom of action within a social setting. And to me, the no, you're, you're you're talking about the, the positive rights. I, I'm telling you, I'm a natural. I believe in natural rights. So what you're saying? Well, I I, I thought I did too until I heard you use the term and have a totally well, different okay, definition again, attached to it. Left, right, and center. Jim in the center again. I want to try to clarify another point here, Andrew. Um, with reference to this idea of natural rights, say for the sake of argument that that uh, you and I live side by side on plots of land. And, and I'm, I know I'm going to stretch this, but, but I'm, again, I'm trying to, to get to the philosophical root of it. You and I live side by side on, on plot, similar plots of land. Um, I plow my fields, I raise my crops, I raise the food. Uh, you go fishing and hang around with your dog and watch the stars at night and just generally have a good time. And then you realize at one point, gee, I don't have any food in my cupboard, but Jim has lots of food in his cupboard. Do you then have a natural right I mean, does that extend to you coming and say you've got to give me food because I have a right to it? Uh, no, it doesn't mean that I have a right to come in and take your food. But I, what I'm saying is um, you might feel that, well, you might not. You might think I'm a jerk. Mm -hmm. But you might feel that because you have food in your cupboard and you look over and you see me starving to death, mm -hmm. that you're going to do something about it and maybe... maybe uh, well, I would hope I would. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but, but, what but that's based on your philosophy, presumably, that you think it's wrong for people to starve to death. It's not a good thing, and or you wouldn't want to see a fellow human, exactly. a fellow human, no matter who. But that's not that. Yeah. That's not your natural. You, you were talking before about your natural right to have food. Well, we've just well, we've just created a situation where I do have the food. But now you're telling me, no, you don't have a right to my food, but I probably am going to want to give it to you. Well, I have a, what I'm talking about, a natural right. I have a natural right to food security. I have a natural right to access to food if I, if I need to, to get it. It's, I don't have a right to be an idiot. And if, if, I'm an, if I'm going to go and fish and not grow food, then it's going to obviously affect me. So, so at that point in time, when you suddenly realize I have no food, and Jim has food... Mm -hmm. Um, you don't have a natural right to my food, then. You don't have a right to that food. Is that what you're talking? Because I'm, I'm really trying to yeah. understand this. Well, what, what, you know, this is this is an extreme example, and I'm wondering what the soul support parent on on on, on mother's allowances, you know, listening to well, this would think. I think this example but, is very but it's literal. A, it's an example. It's it's an academic example, and I'll, I'll do that. What I think is that it, food. Is as a, when I say food is a natural right, what I mean is everybody should have the right to have, you know, to 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 get food. Mm -hmm. Well, which right? you had on your little plot of land, but you chose not to exercise the yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. I didn't. So so okay. I'm the author of my misfortune. Okay. Yeah. That's that's fair. So at that point, you don't have a right. I to don't my have food. a no. I don't have a right to your food, but I think there's a big moral issue there about whether you have a, you know, there is a. Well, there's another, there's yeah, a total other yeah, issue, and now yeah. you and I are absolutely agreed on it. I, I believe, I, I yeah. believe I have an absolute moral responsibility to feed you. And where does that come if, from? Even, even in the case you described, where you, absolutely. you said he, he, I'm talking he doesn't about, want to I'm work. talking about myself. I'm talking about Jim Chapman. I'm talking about what allows me to sleep at night. I could not sleep at night watching Andrew starve to death, however irresponsibly he may have been. I, you may be able to do that. I couldn't do that. And how far would you take it? What if it started affecting your own ability to survive? Then I have to make decisions as I go along, obviously. But, but, but in the... In but the no, wait, a minute, wait a minute. In the philosophical, abstract philosophical uh, scenario I painted, I, I, I was trying to establish whether or not that natural right 
existed in, in as, as Andrew said, in the situation of someone who did not exercise their prior rights. And he agreed that you do not have a right to the earnings of others. He, well, he agreed that he doesn't have a right to my food. Right. I think he'll, is... he'll probably fight you on the extension of that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's... But, but, uh, but you ask me, do I believe I have an obligation to him? Yes, I do, because of my personal moral code. Well, that's a personal obligation. Exactly. No one placed that obligation on you. Exactly. Therefore, therefore it's not an obligation. Well, it's a choice. Okay. It's a choice you exercise. It's not an obligation. An obligation is something that's imposed upon you by someone else. Well, against would, against your will, I, I most would, of the time. I would disagree in my personal interpretation um, of the word. I, I, I accept obligations I mean, on behalf of myself I, all the time. I, th I think it's, it's, it's just a sense you have of what's right, and no one can define where that comes from. All right, let, let's, okay. we're, we're getting very abstract here. Yeah. I want, we've got to pause for a second. When we come back, I want to maybe look at a little more practical aspect. Andrew, I want to ask you, and Bob, too, might we not find uh, at least a partial solution to this problem if we eliminated all these confusing, you can't earn money, you can't earn money for people who are below the poverty line? What if we said, hey, if you can earn some extra money, go go to it, have a great time, all, we're all for you, go get it, and we, you know, you're, you're still going to get your dollars and, and, and we're going to go from there. Is there some kind of system other than a universal guaranteed income that would make that work? Stay with us, lots more to come on Left, Right, and Center. We're running short on time, so I'd ask you to be as brief as you can, and we welcome John to the show. Hi, John. Good morning. Yes, sir. Uh, I just basically uh, heard uh, a little bit of this, and it sounds like that one person is sort of opposed to uh, the uh, sort of social welfare programs, and the other person is all for them. Am I right on that? Pretty much. Um, I, I guess I just don't quite understand uh, the person who, who uh, doesn't, uh, you know, like you know, you discuss it as a safety net and that type of thing. He he doesn't want that in place. Uh, can he tell me why he doesn't want it in place? Or is it the case, Robert, that you don't want any kind of protection for people? Well, I don't believe in a so universal social safety net, so to speak, because everybody's in the net. Nobody's holding it up. You're, you're supposed to be directing aid to those people who need it most. So, not not spending a hundred percent for everybody. Okay, but you're not. But you're not saying there shouldn't be any kind of a net there. Well. Ideally, I would say that, but in practicality, I say government should be the last resort, not the first that we go to. We should go to charity first. We should end universal programs. We've got to get rid of things like minimum wage laws and, and a lot of the labor regulations we have that, that are creating the environment in which people are finding no jobs. I guess I guess basically what I had heard there before is you discussed something about distribution of wealth. I think that's what you said, and I don't know if you fully understand that concept. I, I mean, the idea, as far as I understand it, distribution of wealth is basically creating something for people who require it, and and that means that a lot of these profits and excesses uh, that are in corporations and corporate welfare, which I'm sure you're for, uh, th these. I'm not for corporate welfare. Uh, well, okay. Uh, I don't believe uh, the government should be taking money from any Peter to pay any Paul, whether it's a corporate Paul or a poverty Paul. Yeah, the, the only problem I have with... Yeah, okay, so so I guess basically what I'm saying is that the idea that uh, that if... if it, it, in this country, it's not lack of wealth. It's definitely lack of distribution of wealth. And I don't mean incorrect, that some, incorrect, some incorrect. rich person should give to no, a poor sir. person. I don't believe that. I believe that they should create something in order for that person to be able to... to, to have some dignity and, and, and work in this country. So where does the money come? Why it can't happen? Where does 100%. the money Where does the money come from to do that? Uh, it comes from the actual. The, instead of when the big profits are made, they don't just lay off a whole bunch of people and say, "Well, we made that 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 many dollars with that number of people. I guess we don't need them. Need this other percentage. Send them home. Mm -hmm. Keep them on." 
keep keep them there and 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 have them produce and instead of the the gigantic profits they could have uh maybe a smaller margin and and keep these people working right. and i think it would work better for them in the long okay. run anyway and your and your parents who are retired and living off their investments in their riffs and, right. and those investments are made up almost entirely of uh, of the stocks in those same corporations that now aren't making the profits, and your mom and dad suddenly don't have enough money to live on. Oh, I don't think it would be that serious. Well, I you really don't. don't. I, I think that's an exaggeration. Well, there. you do. It would never be that serious. Well, why, you know why do you that. think? Why, no, I don't know any such thing. I don't know any such thing, and I would suggest that maybe you want to look a little more carefully into this whole this whole wheel of finance that you seem to dismiss so so uh, offhandedly. Oh, no, the corporations could afford to, to make less money, but it's not going to hurt my mom and dad. No, my friend, it may very well hurt your mom and dad. I don't believe that at all. Every, well, po every, poor, at all. every poor guy in this country should be cheering every time he hears that a corporation makes a large profit because that means some job security in the future. I don't believe uh, that. That certainly isn't what the media yeah. is talking about lately. Well, the uh, media is very... Listen, most of the media is left-wing to begin with. Most of the media puts a spin on profits as though profits are an evil thing. But of course, profits is what the left wing wants to redistribute. That's even what you want to redistribute. You you are not saying totally. on the one hand, I don't want to make so much money, but whatever I do make, let's redistribute it. No, I'm not so saying why you not totally make do more? that. I'm saying that you, you, you should be able to reap the rewards, and I think it's a cyclical thing, and you'll reap more rewards by putting some back in than by, uh, by just totally uh, uh, with total greed, and that's basically all it is. Okay. You know that yourself. It's out there. We know that. We hear it every day. The media isn't that inaccurate, totally. And so, and we even see it. I see it within, you know, within my own community. Uh, it's not the media I'm, I'm depending on either. So, so anybody that doesn't well, say look that a little closer to home. The look a little closer to home. Greed is a, a universal factor of human life. We are all greedy. We all live for our own self-interest. And I, I see no difference morally in the greed of a corporate person a and, 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 and the greed of a, of a poverty-stricken person or the greed of a low-income person or anything like that. It's greed. Everybody well, I, wants. I, to get I don't up. agree that everyone is everyone is no. greedy. If that's what you're saying, I don't believe that. You don't I believe, believe we all would like a decent standard of living. I don't think something wrong with that. But to say everyone what, is greedy. What do you think that is? Biased. What do you think that is? What do you think greed is? Go look it up in the dictionary. Thanks for the call today, John. Uh, you wanted to say something, Andy? Well, yeah. Well, obviously, I'm going to take exception to the the the, the, the way that we have to have a system based on greed. I think. Uh, well, you're advocating one. You want you want many, a system where the government many, takes no. from other people and gives to the poor. No, it I sounds want, like a pretty. I want a system where the, uh, people who are at the low end of the economic scale can buy into the economy, can get into it, give them the supports they need. Okay, let give me them ask. The supports let me need. ask you the question that I that I put just before the the commercial. Would we then would we help things if we were to open up the the employment market by saying to people who are on limited incomes on government subsidies and so on by saying to them okay we're going to give you this much because we we have all agreed and I, I think most of us in the society have agreed we don't want people living on the streets we don't want people starving we don't want kids going to school hungry now there's more to kids going to school hungry than not food available and I'm, I'm sure you understand that there are some parents who are incapable of dealing with those realities however probably a minority doesn't matter 
wouldn't we be a lot better off if the government devised some kind of system whereby we look to the, those most in need, those most challenged, whether it's transient or whether it's a lifelong habit for them, and said, here's the situation, folks. We are going to provide these basic necessities. And beyond that, to a point, whatever the point is, 5,000, 10, it doesn't matter what the dollar figure is. Beyond that, if you want more out of society, then you've got to go and earn it yourself. And you may have to work for $2, $3, $4 an hour. You may, until you, if you don't have skills to trade. But that's your choice. We'll give you the basics, and beyond that, it's up to you. Would there be anything inherently wrong with that? Well, I, I would disagree with two or four dollars an hour. I, I think there's nothing wrong with saying to someone on social assistance, and and it should be this should be supported that you can you can go out and earn and keep a much bigger percentage of your income. Why not keep all? Why not keep all of it? Uh, up to, to a, a point. Uh, to a certain to a point, within reason, that would be good. I mean, we have a lot of legislated poverty in this province. For instance, I have a client whose uh, husband is a taxi driver. And he's not making a lot of money taxi driving. It's a pretty low-income business if you're not a, a plate owner. He is not allowed under the welfare rules to deduct expenses from the money he brings in. So he can't deduct gasoline. He can't deduct the cost he's paying to the dispatch. He can't deduct all these. It's deemed to be income artificially. What business can run on that? This guy, if he could, if he could deduct those things, could put the money into their family. They could remain on some degree of social assistance because he can't support them on a, on a cab income anyway it would work for them what's happening now is that he's they've had to separate well why do they've we have to separate why for economic do, reasons why don't we have more poverty or anti-poverty activists than telling us those stories we do we do it every day we do it at city hall we do it in the press we do it this is happening everywhere we're, we're talking about we we no, analyze this let me tell you what's time. happening everywhere in terms of public perception the public perception is that anti-poverty activists, for the most part, are simply trying to get more money out of the government. Well, you can shake your head, but that's the perception, I'm telling you. And, and it happens because we continually hear, oh, evil Mike Harris, and he cut, and he did this, and he did that, and he did something else. We don't hear the kinds of stories very often. And I'm talking the broad public, the kind of story you just told, which drives home one of the key parts of the problem, and you're absolutely right, we need major reform of the way we help these people. Well, we've been pushing for that for years. Since before, when the NDP were in power, we were actively involved in that at the committee levels at, at Queen's Park. We tell them something happens in between it going to the appropriate the politician. The bureaucrats seem to do something to it. Good ideas basically disappear. We've got thousands of good well, those, ideas. Well, those bureaucrats are operating on the same principle that you've been espousing for this whole program. And in fact, particularly in the example you just picked, the taxi industry is a ridiculous industry. Uh, license holders, which shouldn't be allowed to exist, plate holders, they put a they have a, a, a quota of how many taxis can run. That shouldn't exist. Anybody should be able to buy a car tomorrow and start up their own taxi company. That's what free enterprise is all about. We have to pause for just a moment. We'll be right back. Well, I'm sorry to say we've run out of time on this program. Uh, my thanks to Bob Metz and Andrew Bolter. Always a pleasure, Andrew, to see you. And uh, we uh, look forward to having Jeff back again. But it's always nice to have Andrew sit in when Jeff can't be with us. Um, for Andrew and Bob and Ryan and Don, it's Jim saying, please join us tomorrow. Uh, don't know what we're doing, but we'll all find out together. In the meantime, take care of each other. Mind how you go. And we'll see you.